Hang on. Hang on. Halt. Welcome to This Might Be A Podcast. Before we start the episode, we've got a voicemail from Spencer Parks. Holy shit, I love that original version of Four of Two. I need to hear a full, real studio recording of it because it is pretty epic and amazing. Uh, yeah. Yes. It is like the most, um, very, there's sport I cannot think of. There's, it's very specifically about death and it's very, ugh, yeah, it's great. Um, I love the fake berry or, or base sax. It almost was in like maybe the base sax region. Um, but yeah, I really want to hear that with some nonsense saxophone. Um, and, uh, I love that you said, Greg, uh, their kids songs are just less about death. Maybe they're still about death a little bit, just less about death. I'm not sure if there are any about death at all. Uh, hey, this is Spencer. Bye. I agree that 4 of 2 adult version is awesome. I love the no version, but would have been great if that was on Mink Car with the lyrics as it was on the demo. As far as <laughs> their kids' songs that are about death, I would argue that Meet the Elements, while not outright mentioning death, kind of alludes to the simpleness, uh, the simple nature of life, how we're all carbon, and uh, we s- will end up as just a pile of carbon. <laughs> and next up, we have a voicemail from my father. Hey, Greg, it's your dad calling. Just. Wanted to tell you, why don't you call your mother or I enough? <laughs> no. <laughs> hey, just listen to the four of two episode. And I kept waiting for one of you younger folks to comment about the song being dated. Who looks at analog clocks anymore? And everyone's got their smartphone. And that's usually your first source of time checking so yeah uh analog clock with its hand stuck on the same time for 30 years or whatever whatever the story was is pretty hysterical but um yeah i was just waiting for that comment from one of you especially i think belinda commented she wasn't even sure what that four of two meant she had to google it because who says time that way we all say it more in a digital way 156 or um, so yeah, <laughs> what's up with that? Hey, you know, we listened to all the episodes just to keep tabs on you. See you, bud. Hey, when you two decided to enter the modern age and learn how to text, you know, the only calls you get now are FaceTime from the girls. 
Thanks for calling, Dad. Anyone can leave us a voicemail at 224-801-2930. Welcome to This Might Be A Podcast, the song-by-song podcast about the greatest band of all time. They might be giants. I am your host, Greg Simpson, and I'm here with first-time guest Chris Connaughton to talk about the song If Day for Winnipeg. emphasis on the right syllable for your name did i say it right you did you got it totally right perfect so, yep it is Connaughton. so okay yep yeah i remember on my other podcast best midwestern we had a guy on a drummer named mike Fillimley from a band called the smoking popes mm-hmm. Are you familiar with smoking popes? I'm familiar okay. with smoking popes yes so good uh we've had him on we also had on josh caterer the front man um but mike Fillimley for like the 25 years I've been listening to Smoking Popes. I always thought it was Mike Falumley. I was putting right. it on the second syllable. And he actually corrected us <laughs> on the... I was like, oh my God. <laughs> He's like, it well, happens. You know, it's time. like one of those things where you have people who just read and read and read, and then they don't know how to pronounce things out loud. Yeah. So, you know, and with, with people that aren't the front man of the band, you don't... Right hear them on podcasts as much or interviewed or anything right yeah so anyway the first thing we need to do is tell people your tmbg story because this is your first time on and i I must first say you are one of the handful of people who uh has burned through all the episodes and caught up the fastest (laughs) you i'd say you and uh ben bird who's actually going to be on next week yeah talking about um or actually, it'll be like four episodes from now since I'm recording three this week. But he's, he's going to talk about yeah, yeah. That's and cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he he may have actually listened to all of them a little bit faster than you. But how it's long did it take you? What episode did you come in on? Like, what episode were we on when you found out about the show? Do I you remember? think the first time I engaged about it on Miss T was this microphone. So that was like sometime in the 80s. Okay. And then I didn't start for a few months after that because my current project podcast project at that point was going through the whole back catalog of Judge John Hodgman. Oh, yeah, that's fun one. I was off and on on that for, you know, years, but I finally caught up on that. And so I think I started uh, TMBP sometime in like September of 2020. Yeah. And it took me a little over a year to go through the whole thing, so. Yeah. Yep. Nice. Yeah. I John Hodgman. Have... Actually, just yesterday, uh, emailed him 
again. We had been in a little bit of contact because he, um, I, I asked him to be on the show. He right. was too busy at the moment. It was about a year ago. Um, but he did contribute a good amount of money uh, to the Purple Toupee Fund. Very for nice. Garrett. I, I won't say how much, but it was a uh-huh. good chunk of change. He just PayPal'd me. So I was like, whoa. That's awesome. Um, yeah, very cool guy. Hope, uh, hoping to get him on. I want to talk to venue about the whole venue songs thing with him, obviously. Yes. Uh, and then whatever song he decides to pick, it wouldn't have to be a venue song. But right. we'd still talk about that, obviously. Uh, so, yeah, good podcast. I would recommend uh, Judge John Hod- Hodgman as well. Yep. Um, definitely a good parody of stuff like the Steve Harvey thing. <laughs> like, he's being a judge now. I'm like, right. you know. Uh, like you have no actual legal authority over any of these people. Uh, so it's pretty funny. So you burned through. So then if you started then in late 2020, how long did it take you to go from episode one up till whatever we would have been at, uh, to get current? Do you remember? I want to say it was October of 21. So last year, about six months ago, but I'm not a hundred percent positive on what the date was okay so it took you almost a year to catch yeah up. yeah that's that seems reasonable now i'll have to ask ben exactly how long he 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 was kind of keeping me posted as he went through twitter he kept posting like simpsons and futurama gifts and stuff like right. that like fry drinking coffee and just like shaking um yeah he's like me with 60 more episodes of TMEP to go, you know, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I, I know he definitely listened to them all in under a year. Yeah. Um, it may have been in under six months. Um, yeah. So he's all caught up now. And, uh, and yeah. I, I, I love to hear about that kind of stuff. Cause you know, when the show first started, obviously you got to kind of get the ball rolling right at first. And, uh, it took off way quicker than I thought it would, but, I welcome all new members of the listening community, and I don't expect everyone to listen to every episode. I think even some of my Patreon people (laughs) don't listen to every episode, but I put out a lot of content, so that's uh, yeah. At this point, I'm still making my way through the Patreon archive. So, if you if you want to do me a favor, I'm curious as to how many Patreon episodes I've put out because I kind of lost track. Is well, is it like like 30, 40? I, I don't even know. I don't know either because the way Patreon sets it up, it's just a list of posts and things. And so there's no numbering keeping track. So I haven't gone through right. and counted. You know there's an app, right? So if you want to listen yeah. in the car or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Because I guess I put out... I try to make it about one a month, but it always tends to be a little bit less than that. Right. Maybe like eight a year, nine a year, you know. And yeah. we've gone a full three... In about three and a half years so far. So, yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't know. Somewhere near 40. Uh, yeah, so if uh, patreon.com slash this might be a podcast. If anyone would like to be a lovely Patreon member like Chris is and yeah. get a bunch of merch and exclusive episodes. So you you burned through all those episodes. Yep. You made a big post on Miss T before we had ever even talked personally. I did that, yeah. You left notes on a bunch of episodes, like which I found... 20 episodes. <laughs> yeah, which I found very funny. It, it was especially funny to read it like more, you know, two years into right. the show because I'm like, man, I don't even remember what I said all in those. Stuff. And you kind of reminded right. me it was pretty hilarious because... You know, there's always a little bit of a, a curve with, with podcasts where sure. you're figuring out the format, the style, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, so now that you are fully in the community here, 
I want to know how long you've been in the TMBG fan community Okay. Uh, as a whole. You've already told me you had an Apollo 18 shirt yes. from 1992, so it's been even longer than that. When yep. did you get into TMBG and how? I have been fully in for 30 years, so 92 is when I did get into them, but I've I've been thinking about it over the years, and my first exposure to TMBG came on Nick Rocks, which was mentioned just a couple episodes ago. Yeah. But as a as a kid in the '80s, I would we had cable, but for some reason I would just watch you know Nickelodeon a lot and their video show, which was a half hour. You got to see five or six videos in the half hour, and that was the show and they might be giants were on at least twice. I guess I was looking at the, the wiki mm-hmm. archive last night and they didn't have a ton of information, although they do have somebody put up a YouTube video of their hosting duties on at least the second episode or so. So, yeah, yeah, there is, uh, on their official particle. Man oh, that's YouTube, right. It was particle man. Yeah. Yeah. They put up the one that was also in the, uh, DVD extras for gigantic. Right. So for people that don't have that, I might play a little clip of it because it is pretty funny. It is, yeah. Nick Rocks. Nick Rocks. Hi, this is John. And John. Of They Might Be Giants, and we're here on Nick Rocks, Nick our Rocks. favorite rock video show. It's our favorite because they play all our videos all the time. We're going to see every video we've ever made on Nick Rocks. Tonight, or today, whatever time it might be at your house, And uh, we're also going to be performing a special live song. So stay tuned to Nick Rocks. Nick Rocks. Nick Rocks. Nick Rocks. Nick Rocks. Someone else also put up their performance of Why Does the Sunshine. Right. On there as well. So, So, yeah, that's. That was the first time I became aware of them, but I also remember at the time, not really as a, I don't know, eight or 10 year old, not really like digging the songs that the videos that they played like the oh yeah the main memory i have of watching that episode is that the last video they played was yellow's oh yeah which is the ferris bueller bus bus ride at the end of the <laughs> movie song and nice. i liked that and i liked that so i remember yeah. that so that was my first my first exposure to them and then i specifically remember being in the dentist's office huh. and reading people magazine's review of flood and yeah they described they described dead as a person you know who died and was reincarnated in a grocery bag and i was like this is so weird and strange i should keep track of this and so i didn't forget that and then eventually being a middle-aged white guy it came on tiny tunes another year later Mm -hmm. and that was like oh these are the guys i heard about in that people magazine review and from there i got going um I think it was early April of 92. For some reason, my younger brother, who's three years younger than me, and I got to go to the record store, and we each got to buy a cassette tape. And so I remember I got Primus sailing the seas of cheese. (laughs) But I bugged my brother into getting Flood. I was like, you like that Tiny Toons episode. You like those songs. This should be cool. So he got Flood. And, uh, you know technically still his but we listened to it a ton and then within within a couple weeks i had picked up apollo 18 and uh, my dad was a high school band director at the time and so just Mm. after just after we got into into them he was like oh i have a couple of students who are going to see them 
like this weekend they're playing in Ann Arbor. And I was like, well, that's cool, but that's not happening yet for us. But that would have been the Apollo 18 spring tour, their last duo tour. And so uh, by that June, I got to see them. They came back around and that was their first uh, band tour. Cool. Cool. So that was the basics of how I got started. So that would have been with Tony Maimonet, but it would have been J.D. Feinberg on drums, probably? Yep. J.D. Feinberg was yeah. drums. Kurt Hoffman on uh, clarinets and things was in that lineup, too, nice. in that first tour. Yeah, yep. he's been with them so long. It was it was awesome to talk to him last yeah. uh, summer. Um, and, yeah, I was trying to find that People Magazine thing. I know I've seen it. It's probably... There's a, probably an image on the wiki right. somewhere, but um, yeah, I could post uh, an image of that right. to Twitter or something like that. It, it is fun to see, uh, you know, quote unquote, normal people's reactions right? that they might be giants. <laughs> but, <laughs> right? but looking back into that, People Magazine apparently also ran a review of their 1985 demo tape, which is yeah. oh, crazy yeah, yeah, that's that insane. somebody who worked for People got the editors at people to let them run a review in the magazine in the mid eighties of somebody's demo tape. Yeah, that is crazy. Um, I, I mean, I can't say, you know, as a four year old, I would have been flipping through people's magazine right. in the supermarket. I wonder if it was a little more, uh, a little more loose back then, a little more, uh, you know, I don't know, underground, probably not, but <laughs> probably wherever no. they started at, you know, yeah. before they got to just be basically a less crazy tabloid. <laughs> right. You know, more mainstream, but still kind of, yeah, whatever, gossip yep. magazine. Exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that is cool. So over the years, have you maintained your fandom the entire time or did it did it ever waver? Because I've even admitted that in college I listened to them a little bit less because I was like, oh, I'm I'm cool indie rock right. kid now. Never fully lost touch, but I yeah. know some people do. I have uh, never wavered through various, uh, you know, getting into other types of music and things because I got into them just as, you know, grunge music was taking off and I was in yeah. high school at that point. So I got into all the alternative rock, you know, and I got into punk and all that stuff and other things in the late nineties. And, but all along I just stuck with, they might be giants. So I never, I never really dropped off. Yeah. That's kind of my timeline as well, where they were the one band that never seemed to completely fit with whatever thing I happened to be in at the moment, but that didn't exclude them from my listening habits. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, that's definitely a thing they've had going for them their whole career where they can kind of exist outside of trends. Yeah. uh, And, or exist slightly inside of every trend, depending (laughs) song to song. That's true. (laughs) Yeah. So you got to jump the line a little bit with recording this episode. Yep. Because I wanted to do another Flans song. So uh, up till now, I've done three book episodes. Wait, hold on. Okay. Uh, Part of You Wants to Believe Me. Can't Remember the Dream. Yeah. Uh, And then I did I Lost Thursday. Am I forgetting one? I can't even keep up with my own goddamn podcast. Uh, I think those are the three you've done so far. Yeah. Yeah. 
tomorrow I'll be talking to Mari Morton about I Broke My Own Rule. Okay. My personal favorite track off of the record. Um, but I was like, we got to, you know, I got to, I want to try to keep it even between Flames right. and Linnell songs. So I, I tweeted out, I said, <laughs> said, who wants to, you know, make a pitch about, uh, you know, how they'd be a good guest to talk about one of the Flames book songs because I want to record something in the next few weeks. Right. And a couple people got at me. I, I ended up uh, picking two of you, uh, Lydia Snow, a college age gal, um, also convinced me to, uh, I had already talked to her about being on, but uh, convinced me to let her also do um, Darling the Dose. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, so we're doing that in a couple weeks. Um, yeah, and then I'm debating whether I want to slow down on the book episodes and kind of wait for uh, live versions and covers to kind of right. catch up. <laughs> Yeah, that makes I haven't sense. had a chance to play these yet. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's going to be so. interesting to see what those set lists look like once they finally start playing, since they are still committed to doing Flood, and they've also mm-hmm. talked about doing those Mink Car songs, and they got to fit in book songs. So, and the thirtieth anniversary of Apollo eighteen. If is they want to acknowledge that as well, as well. right? <laughs> <laughs> They should do a three-part set. You know, they could do two yep. intermissions if they want. There you go. You know, do do yep. flood, do Apollo, do a couple mink cars tacked onto those, or do, or then the third set or one of the sets could be selections from mink car plus selections from book. Right. And we're talking about a song that it, it's hard to say if this song would ever be played live yeah, because it's such a weird one. If day for Winnipeg doesn't seem like a candidate for yeah possibly a quiet storm song i could see them if they really wanted to get into it and try and do a radical rearrangement they could do a version but Mm -hmm. it seems Mm -hmm. like if you're taking out the book songs the first run is probably going to be you know probably eight or ten that are easier to put together yeah, what, what, before we get into Ifte, what what would you guess? Uh, let, let's ponder this here for a minute. What would you pick? Let's say they did five book songs. Okay, what do you think they would be? I think you're probably going to get Moonbeam Moonbeam Rays, and I can't remember the Dream. And if they want to get funky, I lost Thursday. That seems like. It might be a little more difficult, but it was their first mm-hmm. sing- their first you know quote unquote single from the album. So mm-hmm. yeah, and then after that, I'm not sure. Uh, like if they have Kurt Ram out there, you might get Lord Snowden because of the Baroque mm-hmm. trumpet mm-hmm. flourishes. Mm-hmm. So that's a few. Yeah, I, I would say Brontosaurus would definitely Brontosaurus. Be yeah, top of my yeah. list as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I would probably guess that they would play all of the singles but like you said i lost thursday potentially could be tricky um though the arrangement yeah i I debated this on that episode with with my guest patrick um that whether the drums were marty drums or Mm -hmm. drum machine or a combination of the two but Either way, it's not a drum part that's out of Marty's ability no, in any sense, you know. And Danny is on it, and right, I believe Miller's on it. I don't know. Yeah, there's right. there's some guitar, so I think that's definitely. I think it would be doable. Yeah, so, I don't yeah. think it's yeah. outside the realm. Probably definitely not as difficult as trying to do this song would be. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, Synopsis for Latecomers might also have a shot at being sure. in it, too, just because they like playing their openers. There yes. tend to be a lot of opening tracks that, that make the set list, right? I could see a you know the book portion of a set kicking off with that, just yeah. because that's like, oh, every, everyone, like, they wouldn't even have to say the title. They just right. kick into that, you know, drums and vocals immediately. Everybody's yeah. like, oh, time for book songs. And it's so heavy and chunky, too, that it could be a lot of fun. I would love to see Marty drum that yeah. uh, live. Probably one of my favorite drum parts on the album. But we are here to talk <laughs> about If Day for Winnipeg. Yes. So let's let's get into it. I think uh, the first thing, should we talk about the history before we even get into what They Might Be Giants do with it? Should we tell people about If Day, if they don't already know? Probably a good place to start, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I was trying to find a clip of Flans talking about it on a podcast. There are so many podcasts I wasn't able to find one yet. If I can, I will drop in a clip of Flans explaining If Day. I did hear Linnell talking about If Day on... um, the Creative Control podcast, um, which I know I'll play a clip about. I broke my own rule uh, when I do that episode. But pretty much he was like, oh, yeah, I think it's kind of about this, but Flans could tell you better. So, right. Uh, you know, so I'm trying to find the thing about Flans telling it better because I want to hear his wording because Flans just has such a way with words. And I bet I could find somewhere where he explains it in a good way or uh, a funny way. You know, because yeah. he's very funny. Uh, but would would you like to uh, give, you know, a brief synopsis of If Day? Sure. So it was the middle of World War II. Uh, unlike the United States, Canada jumped right in to participating in the fight against the Nazis. So they started in 1939. But Canada, being uh, much less populated than the U.S., really needed to make an effort to raise raise money from their people to try and keep things going. So in uh, February of 1942, the uh, citizens of Winnipeg, Manitoba, decided to have an event that they called If Day. And the if, <laughs> the if in this is, what if the Nazis invaded our town? And so they... <laughs> You know, Winnipeg is a real stronghold. It's a very important (laughs) point for uh, conquering the country. (laughs) Right, yeah. Imagining the Nazi machine rolling across the, you know, the upper plains of Canada and getting to Winnipeg. Manitoba, yeah. Yeah. You know, here we are in the coldest city in North America. Here we are. So... Well, one of my favorite songs by another one of my favorite bands is about Winnipeg. I I don't know if you'd be able to guess that. It's kind of a punk adjacent band do you know any other songs about winnipeg not aren't too many off right the top of my head so okay uh the weaker thens okay the weaker thens uh-huh okay whose ba- basis was formerly in propaganda uh have a song called one great city uh and outdoor floor has actually covered it it's, it's one of my favorite covers that we've done because uh, we changed the time signature and made it electric it's it's just an acoustic finger pick thing uh one great city and it is not complimentary of winnipeg (laughs) to say the least um talking about it just kind of i think more like like the lines of his boredom being in that city Uh, but it contains the line 
uh, I hate Winnipeg uh, three times. <laughs> anyway, back to If Day. Right. Um, so they were raising money. What What were they? So how were they raising money exactly? They were, well, they were doing what they called victory bonds and just trying mm-hmm. to get people to invest you know, in, in the war and, you know, you were going to get paid back. I forget some amount of money once the bonds matured like seven years later. Mm-hmm. So they were raising money. And so they had this elaborate, uh, very elaborate thing, uh, called if day where the Nazis quote unquote came into town and took over the town. And they had things like, know, like thousands of uniforms that they apparently got from Hollywood for people to wear. <laughs> And all these all these folks dressed up as Nazi soldiers and basically took over the town for the day. The townspeople knew it was coming. Yes. So, because that could have gone really poorly if <laughs> if people thought it was a real right invasion and got their hunting rifles and whatnot. Exactly. <laughs> They're shooting the, yes. their own their fellow citizens. <laughs> I was reading a thing before we started that I hadn't seen before that said you know. The radio stations played Hitler speeches and German music all day to set the mood, but they also said they had to like uh, thoroughly warn their U.S. neighbors to the south that uh-huh. this was happening and that it wasn't for real, so that people in the U.S., you know, northern Minnesota, didn't freak out either. Right? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's like what is it, like a hundred miles from something i'm not sure the border yeah yeah north of of minnesota uh i think at this point i'm going to drop in a clip of a newsreel from the era uh in 1942 this is on the youtube channel british british pathé i think is how you would pronounce p-a-t-h-e with a accent on it uh and this is okay let's see which was the name so does it say the narrator? I'm trying to see if it says the name of the narrator here, but it's a British guy, so it sounds you know real classy. Uh, you know, this is something that would have run in a movie theater before the feature film. That you know, right? Th- that would be kind of a cool thing to resurrect. But it's kind of like how they do with some Pixar movies, where there's like a short, yep, you know, like a short cartoon that would come on beforehand. So this would be kind of the the opening act. And, it was you know. it was it was literally how people got news yeah. outside of Radio, the newspaper because it yeah, was yeah. pre-television. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. To, so to see actual footage of anything really, yeah, you had to yeah. had to go to the movie theater. So this is uh, yeah. I'm, I may play the whole thing. It's only a minute and a half long. Yeah. Let's uh, let's listen to this and and hear someone of the time uh, telling people about if day. Winnipeg sends her victory loan rocketing with a brilliant idea. It's Manitoba's dramatic if day. What to expect if Canada and the United Nations were to come under the grinding heel of Nazism. Mock German troops invade Winnipeg, hauling people off buses and trams and placing the entire city under martial law. The town hall is ransacked and the mayor arrested as the Union Jack is hauled down and replaced by the swastika. For a whole day, the capital feels what it's like to exist under the Nazi yoke. The Winnipeg Tribune becomes Das Winnipeger Lugenblatt. Nazi troops shoulder citizens from every restaurant. All food is commandeered for the soldiers of Hitler's master race. All churches and other places of worship are closed. Priests and ministers are arrested. No place in the new order for God. Das Führer is almighty now. 
schools are invaded by Nazi culturists. Youngsters see their teachers expelled. The principles of democracy are erased. Private homes are pillaged. Systematic looting? No. The Nazis call it borrowing. The people of Europe can tell you all about that. Public officials are ordered to concentration camps or the firing squads. Here's an object lesson we can profit by, as well as Winnipeg. Super interesting just to hear how far they went Yeah, to make it seem like an actual occupation. Like, the Winnipeg Tribune became... What did they change the name to uh so yeah they they put (laughs) there's the they show in the video and people should go watch the the video for sure uh the winnipeg tribune and it's crossed out and it says das winnipeger lugenblatt (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah manitoba bjechtver this mood be our next guest chicken. It's been a while since I took German. And they uh, they staged a book burning at, like in the steps of yeah. City Hall and things. And they they arrested the mayor. Yep. They <laughs> arrested. Yeah, they quote unquote arrested various uh, church leaders mm-hmm. and walked them away and closed up the churches. Said you're not allowed to worship. Yeah, things, yeah. The you know. the Führer is your god yep. now. Now you know I'm not a history. Um, I mean, I, I guess I would say I'm a minor, minor history buff, but I thought that Hitler was down with with some form of Protestantism. Is is that wrong? I, I mean, he didn't like sure. the Catholics, didn't like the Jews, didn't like a lot of kinds of people. Right? But was he not a at least at some point a practicing? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Can't confirm or deny on that one. I'm not sure either. But I was. No, I'm not sure. <laughs> Because, the, I mean, if he was going to slaughter everyone who was religious in any capacity, uh, there wouldn't be many people left. No. Uh, so, was was Hitler religious? What do you have to tell me, Google? Let's see. <laughs> religious views of Adolf Hitler, religious b- beliefs have been a matter of debate. Um, yeah, his opinions changed considerably over time. And during the beginning of his political life, Hitler publicly expressed favorable opinions towards Christianity. Uh, but some historians describe his later posture as being anti-Christian. He also criticized atheism. Okay. So he wasn't completely a fan of eliminating religion. Right. Uh, or, or or believing that there was no God. So, it, I don't know. It Yeah. Debatable, yeah. basically. But... You know, yeah. Yeah. Part part of the show for the day, I guess. One way or the uh, other. His, his mother was a practicing Catholic. Huh. Yeah, so he turned on the Catholics at some point. Yep. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, Hitler. You know, the the, uh, <laughs> the throw, throwing around. Uh, you know, Hitler is not mentioned in the song at no. all. The word word Nazi is not used. The word Hitler is not used. Um, so really, people like us had to look up. You yeah. Know, like this phrase, like the title, I remember first seeing the title. I'm like, what is the grammar on this title? Right? It makes no sense. Cause like, you know, it's a title of a song. So every word is capitalized. It's not just if day. Right. So if day for Winnipeg, I'm like that. I'm like, is there a typo in there or something? Is there like, that's, that doesn't make any sense to me. And uh, pretty quickly on, you know, this was not a single, but after book released, um, people in the community were, Say, hey everyone did you know that it's about this thing if right. they so it, it pretty quickly spread across the community and you know i, I don't 
I don't know if I could figure out who first posted about it in the yeah. miscellaneous tea Facebook group, but um, it spread around pretty quickly. So when you found out about the historical elements of If Day, how did that affect your opinion of the song as a song? I definitely liked it better once I knew some context because, mm. I mean it's relatively oblique for a topical song, but on the other hand, for they might be giants being topical, it's actually pretty, uh, coherent, I guess, <laughs> compared to, you know, like where you would say like, I'm impressed may have been about George W. Bush in right. some way, but you mm -hmm. know, you can't really put your finger on that for sure. Right. That kind of mm -hmm. thing. So, mm -hmm. I think without the context, it's definitely one of those songs that just sounds like, well, this is an oddball Flan song like he's been doing for decades. And it's kind of interesting and fun and weird. But I think with the added context, I was like, oh, he actually has something to say here that kind of makes this song stand out. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. This this song, I think, I think for me, recent... They might be Giants releases, you know, like let's say anything within the last decade, right? You know, because they're they're entering their fourth decade, so yes. uh, you know you can kind of split it that way. Now yeah. <laughs> it's like you used to split it as like duo era, band era, yeah, and then I started splitting it kind of pre Marty era, post Marty era. But yeah, you could go by decades now. now. It's more so, like decades, yeah. yeah, yeah. So like from join us up to this, let's just say um, uh, of those albums, mm -hmm. they're they've really locked into like a cool pop rock sound with right. like maybe like half of an album will be like real hooky mm -hmm. songs from both Johns. Uh, and then there'll be, you know, the other half will be kind of weirder, more experimental ones, which we love uh, to hear from them as well. But oftentimes those are the ones where either like you love the weirdness right away or you don't like it, or maybe it's a grower. And yeah. as far as a song off book that was a grower, I think this is a song I wouldn't say I actively disliked it the first time I heard it, but I was mm -hmm. kind of like, eh. I, I think one thing that turned me off to it and still is maybe a down point uh, of the song for me mm -hmm. is the rhythm and the way Flans crams in syllables in the chorus in a way that just seemed awkward to me. Like the, uh, like the chorus. Yeah. Right. If days for Winnipeg, you know, or, yeah. or if days for everyone, not just for Winnipeg, the if days for everyone from now on, like just seemed kind of clunky yeah. to me. I could see that. And it still kind of does. Yeah. And I don't know if there's a better way he could have worded that. It seemed right. like maybe there would be where like the syllables would fit in, in a more musical way. Um, but this song has grown to be probably, my favorite Flan song on the album. Wow. Probably. Yeah. You know, I love Moonbeam Moonbeam Rays, and that's yeah. a song that got a video. Sure. Um, so obviously they think of it as a hit from the album, and I would agree. Mm -hmm. um, and I like that one as well. Um, but this one, like the more I thought about it, you know, learning the historical elements definitely bumped it up, and then yeah. I was listening to it a little closer. Uh, and, um you know, I wasn't skipping it or anything. I was listening to it a little closer then. And then as as we start creeping up towards this episode, even, you know, and, and right. at the time we're recording this book is only five months old, something like that. Yeah. Um, especially creeping up to this episode and really honing in on the musical elements. 
has caused me to think like, you know, I was listening to it after I dropped my, after I dropped my daughter off at daycare today. And I was like, this song is the song on this album that most um, could be drawn back to the style that they were doing on the pink album. Yeah. I can see where, that. yeah, it's a collaborative duo song. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, there's no, yeah, it's funny. The wiki doesn't even have credits for it. It's, yeah. it's pretty much a Linnell germ that became a flan song. Right. Just the two of them created this. No one else is playing on yeah. it. Um, it reminds me of something like, Chesspiece yep. face in a way. I was going to you know, say Chesspiece face. Yeah, yeah, there's not a weird voice like Chesspiece face, right. but um, it is it is kind of Flan's like go to kind of uh, thin tone that he loves to use these days. Yeah. Um, but the musical elements mostly the stripped down thing. It's like Chesspiece face or like boat of car. Like I, I just thought of that today. How the the low oh yeah tone, the rumbling noise. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. one. It, it it comes at you in a way that where it's it's soloed and it's surprising and weird in a way that that low synth tone sure. on chess piece face is. Yeah, or, I'm sorry, boat of car a is boat of car. <laughs> right, the low thing. I <laughs> could draw a direct similarity to that. So I I think this is my favorite Flan song yeah. on the album. What 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 do you think? Was this a grower for you as well? You said you it, know when you learned the historical context. Yeah, it was a grower for me. I don't think I. I also think I liked it at first, but once I got more context, I think it shot up the list pretty quickly. I think Moonbeam Rays is probably my favorite Flan song still, just because it's such a great driving power pop song, and you know they're really awesome at that but this is mm-hmm. right right up there too because it's just yeah. such an interesting song and i think uh you can also make some comparisons to more of the oddball flan songs that he's done over the past decade as well because mm-hmm. i mean like you know this is kind of like the i like fun of this album yeah or you know you can go like oh back to join us you got Cloisonne, or you've got Black Ops, where you have these Flans ideas that are, you know, mostly Flans doing a relatively normal vocal, mm-hmm. and then a sparse arrangement behind him. You mentioned the track, I Like Fun. Yeah. That, yeah, super close to that in um, arrangement, not not in instruments, right. but like the amount of things going on is very sparse. There's even like a almost Mellotron sounding, probably yeah, more like a the, MIDI keyboard kind of sound where there's like, uh, you're like, is that a flute or a vocal? Yeah. But you can tell it's not quite real, but there's this yeah. kind of background. The bridge oh. area very much sounds like Mellotron saxophones to me. Yeah. And yeah. And, and I, I like thinking. fun. Yeah. And on I like fun. They were using that vocal sample. Right forgetting the guy's name, the guy from cream uh, singing, you know, and sampled into right. uh, what would have originally been a Mellotron, but, you know, on a, a Nord or some sort of modern keeper. Right. Uh, so I'd say that's a really good comparison, yeah, mm-hmm. that, that, that you mentioned there. Yeah. Yeah. I mentioned this on other book episodes. This this album is really split between Flan songs and Linnell songs in that, other than Moonbeam Rays, almost every one of Flans' songs 
is what I would categorize as a weirder song. Yeah. (laughs) Where Linnell, yeah. Where Linnell had, has all these just really hooky rock songs that are pretty typical instrumentation, um, outside of maybe synopsis for latecomers and maybe wait, actually. Yeah. No. Right. Uh, The rest of the Linnell songs are like, boom, like in your face, rock and roll tracks. Yeah. Which I, which I love. Sure. Uh, but it's really, really split. Almost like they made a conscious effort to be like, or, or maybe the pandemic. Yeah, it was like Linnell was just like, I want to write happier sounding songs. Right. Maybe know, that's, it's still going to be depressing. Yeah, happy sounding songs. Well, Flans was like, I'm holed up here. I'm a hermit, and I'm just yep. going to do weird things and fuck around on the computer with plugins and whatnot. That was kind of <laughs> that was kind of my take was that they had very different reactions to the isolation of the pandemic, and this is yeah. what we get from it (laughs) the so do you want to talk about the lyrics first or the musical elements first because we've been uh, touching on both of them already but if we were going to get further further delving into to which side would you want to touch on first let's go ahead and jump into the music i guess okay all right so i think maybe the first thing i want to do is just play this clip of linnell on uh the podcast Oh, let me see. I linked you to it, and now I am forgetting the name of it. So the name of the podcast that Linnell was on, it's a like a YouTube show, basically. Uh, 13th Floor Music Talk, will, which I will give props to being a uh, 13th Floor Elevator Elevator's song, right. or I mean band uh, reference. Um, and this dude interviewing him, Marty Duda. Oh, the Duda day. Marty Duda, Duda, Marty Duda, uh, an older gentleman, probably around Flans and Linnell's age and a little bit older. That would explain the 13th floor elevators reference too. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. Getting some 60s mm-hmm. stuff in there. Uh, t- talking to Linnell, who's very casually just like leaning back and, uh, you know, it's cool seeing a, a video podcast of him uh, on this. And he, in this clip, is going to talk about how the song came about starting with uh, him handing it off to Flans. So let's check that out. Sonically, there's some interesting things going on. There's a song yeah. called If Day for Winnipeg, which is, yes. are there steel drums? Is there like a sousaphone in there? What's in no, there? What's no, making that well, noise? <laughs> so, okay. So that was a collaboration. John wrote this song, but I basically began where I gave him a bunch of tracks. Uh, oh. and, um, a lot of it was drum sounds that I had put through something called a ring modulator, uh, which is a, you know, plug-in, but it's an audio effect where you, you, it's a kind of extreme distortion. Um, And, uh, and then it has this rhythmic element. So I think John basically heard that, you know, we send stuff back and forth and I'd send him a bunch of, of uh, audio things. And that was one that he, I think felt like, suggested some things to him and he came up with the lyrics and the melody. Um, and then that crazy low brass sound is something yeah. he added. He added that himself. And uh, <laughs> I, I don't know what that is, but it's a terrifying. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Definitely got my attention. So what'd you think about that? It's interesting. It's like this one. And I guess uh, I lost Thursday was another one where, you know, Flans has mentioned that he asked Linnell for some ideas or give me some, give me some basic tracks and I'll see if I can come up with anything from them. 
Linnell's coming up with beats and yeah. bass lines and stuff and like that. I guess yeah. once you know that the basis of the track was Linnell, then the other half of the equation kind of pops in where you go, oh, this is more of Linnell's oddball experimentation with microtones and things that don't fit into traditional t- tonality. Mm-hmm. And this is one where mm-hmm. Flans went, I can do something with this. It yeah. seems like. Yeah. 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 So the thing that Linnell mentions, this ring modulator, it sounds like actually the microtonal stuff, because it's this ring modulator, which is kind of tricky to explain. The ring modulator is what creates these microtones. So really when, uh, Linnell sent it to him, it probably sounded a little more normal. I don't know. Or a little, <laughs> le- a little less weird, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Still kind of, kind of rinky dinky. Um, and he, ex- Linnell explains the ring modulator, but I think it's Flans who actually put it on there. So I'll read. So Flans basically confirmed that on the TMBG ROK Tumblr. Uh, someone asked, "What's the instrument? What's the instrumentation on If Day for Winnipeg? Some unusual sounding percussion in there." And he says, "Flan says it is all electronic. Actually, a few sounds are sample based, but pretty highly filtered." But most of it is synthesis using the tuba sound. Hmm. And I suspect the quote unquote advanced studio technique that really makes the track kind of stand apart is the use of ring modulation, which could be described as a half trick pony of an effect that creates an inverted set of harmonics to whatever you put in it. It might be the least popular of standard plug-in effects because, <laughs> uh, probably because it is not that practical. Uh, a little bit is too much right away, and it sounds like a fun house mirror on top of most sound sources. And yet, it works pretty well in If Day. That so, sounds right. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think what Linnell sent to Flans probably sounded a little bit more like, and I'll, I'll let you tell the people, you, you compared it to a certain type of Asian folk music. Yes. I hit on the idea of a gamelan, which is like an Indonesian based uh, orchestra. That's mostly percussion instruments and a lot of metal instruments. So you have metallophones, which, you know, if you like metal versions of xylophones and lots of bells and things like that. And it sounds similar to the beginning of this song because the metal sounds don't fit in with Western tonality exactly. Mm -hmm. So it sounds weird and off key and like maybe these notes are wrong and it's because it's a completely different musical tradition. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes it kind of sticks with what what we Westerners would call a pentatonic scale. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, the type of instruments they play will have could tend to have some harmonics that could kind of be a natural sounding version of what a ring modulator can do. <laughs> right. Right. You know, and I, I haven't found anything ahead of time, but I will find an example of some gamelan music for people to hear. Um, I'll, I'll sample through a bunch of stuff and I'll try to put in something. Maybe I can find something that sounds close to right. the, you know, maybe not the, the melody <laughs> of, <laughs> of if day, but something that kind of gives that uh, instrumentation that kind yeah. of, a, a thin kind of dinging and 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 percussive stuff. So uh, I'll, I'll drop in something right here. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>
is is cool that is one kind of music that um i've talked about with students in, i'm actually about to start an around the world unit with my second graders so when we get back from spring break mm-hmm. uh we make passports and all this and oh, we kind of nice. just go go just generally continent by continent but we talk about a few countries um musics within that continent so when we get to asia typically i do play them some examples of gamelan music we actually learn to sing um a song called The Ducks, in, translated to right. The Ducks, which is an Indonesian uh, children's song. Um, and it's written in a way that they can, with a little bit of work, learn to sing it in uh, the uh, Baha Indonesia, I believe is the... Because I, I believe there's a couple different languages yeah, there's in Indonesia. Several, yeah, there's several, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so I'll play them little clips of this, and they're not like, "Whoa, this is weird," but they're usually more like, "Oh, that's cool," <laughs> and and it's something you can kind of imitate a little bit on uh, metallophone, like you said, right? Um, if you take off a few bars to just give them the five notes of the pentatonic sure. scale, and they start playing those, and they're like, "Whoa, it sounds like Chinese music," which is usually their go-to. Right. It's yeah. pentatonic, right? That's what. <laughs> right, Chinese or uh-huh. Japanese? Yeah. You know? yep. so, yeah. So, are you Chinese or Japanese? Reminds me of King of the Hill. <laughs> I'm Korean. So are you Chinese or Japanese? It's very cool how this song came about. And I think talking about the ring modulator a little bit more, uh, the software that I use to record these podcasts and to record um, my own music in the studio is... Uh, is Ableton, Ableton Live. I'm using like Ableton 9. It's like a lot of versions behind what is the most (laughs) recent version of Ableton. Um, It's kind of expensive. Right. Uh, So it it only has one ring modulator um, available as a a plugin. Um, You know, you can buy more plugins, but it's one that can be adjusted in in many ways. Um, So for people that know about synthesizers, some of these terms might make a little bit more sense. Are, are you all that familiar with uh, synthesizers or MIDI? I don't go that deep into synthesizers. I know the basics. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the <laughs> the plugin that I'm looking at right here, I think, you know what? Let me uh, send you, I can send you, I think, pretty easily a screenshot of what this plugin looks like so you can take a peek Okay. Um, as my guest here. It's just called Ring in this case. And the things you can tweak... Are first of all, the easiest thing to explain is the mix of it. Okay. Mix meaning how intense of an effect do you want? Whatever whatever the modulation that you want on it is, how much of that do you want on it? So sometimes okay. that'll be called wet and dry <laughs> for for people that have worked on their own stuff. Right. Like if you want to put reverb on your voice, how much of the dry tone no reverb how much of that do you want coming through and how much of the actual reverb or echo okay uh, or whatever it might be do you want coming through so in this case mix how much are you actually pushing the the weird modulated thing through the source got it 
which in this case was those little dinging keyboards, whatever Linux right. sent to him. Uh, then you've got uh, frequency effects like uh, the within the modulation. Are you affecting the lower tones in the equalization range or the higher tones? Um, then the most fun stuff. Um, Oh yeah, and this also has drive where you can add distortion. I believe the the Johns describe it as a kind of distortion. At least Linnell does. Okay, um, you are distorting the tone. So on my plugin, you can select drive or not. Mm-hmm. Um, how much you want the, it to distort, and then the fun stuff is the LFO, which LFO for people that aren't into synthesizers. Basically means well. It stands for low frequency oscillation. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, LFO, low frequency oscillation, and most synths, like even my my 1982 Roland Juno 60 that right. I'm showing you right now, has two different kinds of LFO because you can oscillate and change all these different aspects of a synth tone. With you know, we don't need to get too much into that. Right. But basically, how much wobble do you want yep in in this case how much wobble do you want to this ring like ring you can kind of think why they call it a ring modulator it kind of sounds like something circling around the tone okay so you can select a different shape do you want it to wobble smoothly do you want it to wobble like real jaggedly you'd use a square wave do you want to use a saw wave which is kind of also a little more jagged but maybe not as jagged and th- th- mm-hmm. these are adjectives that are maybe not the best but it's hard, it's hard to explain synthesizers right. so people who know about keyboards and midi um might know a little bit more what i'm talking about yeah. then it's got rate which how fast do you want it to wobble and then phase uh, that's kind of hard to describe phase <laughs> kind of it's kind of a stereo effect in that you know, like how much do you want it? It has to do with the wobbling and how right. much wobbling do you want and kind of going back and forth between your ears. So um, <laughs> what uh, Chris and I are going to do right now <laughs> is an acapella uh, version of the intro instrumentation of If Day. And I will put the ring modulation on our voices and we'll see how close we can get it to sounding like the effect on the Giants track. So when we're doing this, there's there's basically only two instruments going. Yeah. Right? In the intro. I think there's that's like right. Yeah, there's like a lower kind of bing bong bing right. bong. And then there's, and there's the, the higher bell. Bing bing bong bong bong. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh which part do you want? <laughs> <laughs> uh I guess I'll do the melody for better lack of a better term since that's what i can remember off the top of my head (laughs) are you ready i'm as ready as i'm gonna get yep all right i'll give it a one two three four and then and then we'll try it one two three four Okay, so that's probably enough. Right. Uh, <laughs> so we'll see how that turns out when I put a ring modulator on that in post. <laughs> okay. I'm looking forward uh, to hearing the results. Yeah. I'll send those to you even before the episode. Right. Um, but doing it live right here, I'd have to stop my recording and go back and do right. the thing. Um, and I realized right now I'm actually 
tracking with the ring modulator on right now. <laughs> I just didn't notice it because I'm listening to you and not right. to what's going in there. Um, luckily, it's not analog, so I didn't permanently put the ring modulator on there. I just toggle it off. Great. So, <laughs> so I didn't just talk with the ring modulator on for the last five minutes. I think people like to hear those kind of details as far as going as deep into the arrangement as explaining the digital effects on this track. I hope people found that interesting. At least I would hope they were amused by our, I'm going to call it a cover, our cover (laughs) of the song (laughs) to demonstrate the ring modulator in our acapella cover. So, so thank you. Thank you. Round of applause. There we go. So you mentioned metallophones, which is something yep. we are we are both. I don't think you've mentioned yet that you are a music teacher as well. Uh, yes, I was an elementary music teacher for many years. Not currently doing it, but definitely had my share of time. In are you planning class. to get back into it, or or, uh, or you it, think that phase of your life is over? It is possible. I haven't made a decision yet. There's you know long story behind why I'm not doing it anymore. But basically, I sure. stopped you know right before the pandemic started. And so I was not Mm -hmm. eager to jump back into, you know, (laughs) trying to find a new music teaching job while everyone was in masks and socially distanced and trying to sing and things like that. So it's been weird. Yeah. Yeah. It's been weird. So, you know, unsure. We'll see. It's getting to be spring. I'll be looking around and seeing if I want to jump back in or continue with my exciting Mm -hmm. grocery shopping profession. (laughs) So. (laughs) yeah i will say it has been a weird few years obviously uh we only took the spring of 2020 off uh to go fully virtual and in that august we've been back for two full years now in the pandemic in person you know this is yeah i'm here in the houston area and it's the same thing here they started in august of you know 2020 and it's been back in person conservative areas that's what they've done and they required for the most part required masks for that school year of 2020 to 2021 but this school year uh 21 to 22 masks were not required i haven't fought with the kids too much about it yeah and i post-vaccine caught covid in october (laughs) i mean Uh, november yeah yeah i mean pre-booster pre-booster uh uh, that was not fun you know, our whole like local family group of grandparents and my family and stuff, you know, nine of us, none of us caught it until my 15 year old. And then uh, a couple months ago, you know, and she got mm-hmm. Omicron and, you know, but she had been boosted and completely vaxxed and it was two or three days and it was fine. But mm-hmm. she's mm-hmm. in a high school and, you know, a huge metro area. So she's got like 3000 kids in her high school. So it's like she was masked the whole time and still, you know. Oh, yeah. Well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you take as many precautions as you can, but it's uh, it's floating around, yep. you know. And the and the vaccines, especially for the younger kids, I was actually without getting too much down this rabbit hole. Saw yeah. a, uh, in the New York Times today about how Moderna is trying to fast track their vaccine for the youngest kids, yeah. you know, for all the way down to infants, six and younger. <laughs> and they're saying the data is showing that it's only 40 something percent effective for kids two to six and even less effective for younger than that. Right. Or am I swapping that either way? Uh, it's not even 50% effective, but it's still, as they said, it's still better than zero. Yep. (laughs) Uh, so yeah, this uh, thing is, is hard to fight and this is the new normal. I'd say, I think we're probably going to all end up getting, uh, or at least the smart people will get a vaccine for this along with our flu vaccine. Yeah. Every six months, every every year, something like that. Every year. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. So anyway, fine with me, fine with me. So, 
Okay, well, before we move on yeah. to the lyrics, is there anything else musically you want to touch on before we go in? Because well, it's not completely based on ring modulation. Right. Before we went down this uh, little virus rabbit hole, we were about to talk about boom whackers, I believe. Yes, because you mentioned metallophones, an instrument that I yeah. use in class. Boom whackers. Uh, do you want to explain this for I people will, that aren't music teachers yes. or haven't been in music class in the last like 20 years yeah. or whenever boom whackers were. Invented. Right. So if you're listening to if day, you hear these little wood blocky sounds, they're kind of hollow. They kind of sound like wood, but they're not exactly that sound. And obviously it's all digital anyway, so it's not exactly, but the sound that it reminded me the most of was boom whackers and boom whackers are plastic hollow tubes that are different lengths. And each length is representing a note so like you have your pitches like C, D, E, F, G kind of thing. And so you can take different boom whackers and you hit it on the ground and you get the boom, boom, or you get a small one. It's boom, boom sound. Or you hit it on your friend's head. Or you hit it on your friend's head. You smack it on your leg. You speak, yeah. So that's what yeah, they are. And they're fun. They're yeah. used a lot for elementary school music classes. So yeah, they're just fun. These colorful tubes, you know, each color is a different, uh, each note is represented by a different color. So it's a yep. way to get, you know, young kids who might not even know how to read, you know, notes on the treble clef staff. You can be like, okay, reds, all right, orange, you yep. know, and, and have them play. Um, yeah. I'm going to use those for some pretty soon, actually also in my around the world unit. Very nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Boomwhackers are fun. It does kind of sound like that. It also uh, similarly reminded me of like a blue man group type thing Yes, where they have the PVC pipes of different lengths and you're like slapping them with something. Sometimes a flip-flop sandal <laughs> works pretty well. Right. You'll see those in museums sometimes. Like there's a, there's a museum actually here in town that's a very small museum, but it has a couple of musical exhibits that are hands-on. And yeah, you take the little, the, the flip-flop sandals and just bop them on the open top of the PVC and they make different pitches depending on the length. Uh, that's what I thought of when okay. I first heard that's fair. The, that's very, yeah, both, yeah. Both are pretty similar. Boomwhackers, so. similar concept. Yeah. Yes, for sure. Different lengths of tube being hit in some way. So th- that's fun. It's just a very fun instrumentation yeah. in this song. And then let's see. What else was I going to mention? Oh, yes. So you have the weird ring modulated bell tones. But when the vocals come in, and I guess the verses, they seem to tone down the amount of distortion or modulation mm-hmm. on that. And you get mm-hmm. the little simple like hi-hat, snare drum, bass drum beat that kind of mm-hmm. makes it easier. And you have Flan singing in a very gentle, melodic voice throughout the song. And I think that kind of maybe flattens out the weirdness a little bit when it comes time for the melody. Right. Like, like we were mentioning before, like there isn't a weird voice like in Chess Piece Face. So forever, how, however weird you consider the music, you get that... Uh, I mentioned Flans loves singing in this kind of tone. Now this is one of Flans's go-to, uh, you know, timbres for his singing on something like ampersand or you know this microphone or something like that. He likes right. doing that little kind of almost false, half falsetto-y kind of wispier tone. So 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 yeah. So you get a familiar Flans voice coming in. Yeah. Uh, to kind of lock it in a little bit and balance out the weirdness. Yeah, I'd say that's that's a good way to put it. Um. And we already mentioned the little background saxophony type yep. 
Mellotron-y type uh, sound in there. So it's hard to say exactly what Linnell did and what Flans did. It sounds like Linnell sent him something pretty simple. Simple. Who knows if it was the tinging. Right. Yeah, I bet it was the tinging, maybe the intro, and then Flans might have gone from there um, to put in the rest. But yeah, they're you know the drums, the bass, it's all done by the Johns. Yeah. So it's a duo song, and that's pretty cool. I like that they still do that i don't wish that they were back in the duo era i think people who have stuck with them this long are completely happy with them being a full band at this point it's been decades right right? yeah yeah right yeah it's like 20 yeah 22 years since you know they recruited some other people and no even longer than that anyway almost 30 years since they recruited people actually so but it is cool that they occasionally will go to a duo uh, formation uh and there might be another song on the album like i haven't done an episode on super super cool yet but right that one maybe is a duo one uh, without looking right now yeah yeah with the instrumentation chat fully f- <laughs> you know i think we spent about 20 minutes right. at least on that uh <laughs> We've talked about the history of If Day, yeah. but let, let's try to relate it to, you know, wh- how is Flans using this historical right. reference uh, to make a song? What do you think he means by If Day is for everyone, not just for Winnipeg? Well, my first impression once I found out what If Day was uh, actually was and honed in on the lyrics was that, Flans is clearly writing this song about the events of January 6th and people storming the U.S. Capitol. Mm-hmm. And I think I even mm-hmm. made a post to that effect on Miss T on January 6th. And uh, John Ulyss stepped, oh, yeah. stepped in to correct <laughs> me and say, uh, no, this song, along with everything else on book, was recorded before mm-hmm. 2021. And so yeah. it was not directly addressing that event but it definitely seems along those same lines, depending on how fictitious it is. And, you know, but it seems to me like Flans is uh, commenting on the state of (laughs) the United States politics. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Book has just stated for a long time and, and, we can almost completely blame it on the pandemic safely. I would say, um, because they went, you know, the songs for My Murdered Remains and um, Escape Team, while those were the most recent up until book, um, all that stuff was written way back. Yeah. Even, you know, all that stuff was written before I Like Fun even came out. So that right. whole huge batch of songs um, were all written um, before January of 2019. Eight. Yeah. 18. 18. I think it's 18. Yeah. Wait. <laughs> pretty, sure, pretty sure it's eight. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it came out uh i like fun came out in uh january of 2018 yeah you are correct yes because i started the podcast in late 2018 um i was getting confused i did not start in late 2017 late 2018 so book was still fresh and my murdered remains and escape team came out properly right after i started the podcast so that was the fresh stuff but 2018, going from January of 2018 all the way to November of 2021, 
that's a long stretch for the MIP Giants it to is. go without an album, without even any EP in between. I mean, technically, they released that thing they called Modern that was a fundraiser, right? Uh, which was really just a collection yeah. of stuff to raise money for their crew. And the non-Johns, basically. Yeah. The, th- the three non-Johns. <laughs> uh, so these songs have been gestating for a long time. And when I talked to Danny the second time... We talked about a song, a Red Pants Band song called Superstar. Um, or maybe that's the third time I talked to him. It's all a blur. He mentioned, and that was December of, shit, 2019. It was pre-pandemic. December of 2019, he mentioned how they had already recorded a handful of songs. Yeah. Or started recording a handful of songs. So that is over a full year before. That's... Two years before yes. the January 6th thing even right. happened, the storming of the Capitol. So we don't know exactly when If Day was penned, but it m- most definitely was before the storming of the Capitol. And then I think a lot of 2021 was them probably prepping the book of book right. before they could put it out. Yeah, you know, I, that, was, that, that was my suspicion is that the reason it took until November to come out is because they were waiting for the book to be printed and set and ready to go. Yeah. The book itself. Yeah, they, they gave themselves quite a big project. Yeah. But these <clears throat> songs have been just taking for quite a while. So I guess if we were going to ponder and pontificate over what else this could be about, yeah, I mean, and it can take on new meanings. They've, yeah. they've said that they like that people put whatever meaning they want to their songs. Um, whether they tell you what it actually is or not, they don't usually like to. What it is about, like you said, it could be about something else political. Could be a Trump type song, right? You know, they got a lot of the Trump out of their system with "I Like Fun." Um, you know, by the time this came out, when when they were writing him, Trump was still in office. Right. By the time it came out, he was a year, almost a year, out of office. Um, but the song does start right off. Whoever cared about topical things? Right. So just right off the bat. It's like, um, uh, yeah, like yeah. Flans is both <laughs> announcing that he's going to be topical and also deflating the idea that he's going to be topical simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, I learned my lesson with Road Movie to Berlin 30 years ago. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about the Berlin Wall. I mean, man. And then that, then that had already fallen by the time the song right. came out. What have I done? Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> uh, remained a great song, but still, yeah, they usually aren't that, uh, topical or at least, uh, something, a, a modern, a present time topic. Right. They'll talk about past presidents. Sure. They'll talk about, our voting system of the electoral college mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, lay some facts on you. But this one, if day is talking about a specific or at least relating it to a specific historical event in 1942 and relating it to something that Flans was on Flans's mind. Right. Could it be COVID attacking us? I suppose it could be. Right. Now that this day has arrived, uh, here's a new song for our zero piece band. Mm-hmm. People are dying. The band is now zero pieces Possibly. and everyone else who's survived. Here's a song for everyone who's survived the pandemic. Yeah, that could be that. Yeah. That's what I thought about. Okay. Um, and, but yeah, the stuff he says, Hey, I'm guilty. Put on the cuffs yes. could also be about yeah. 
all the laws that Trump has broken sure. and has not yet been arrested for. <laughs> and then, you know, uh, I've broken yeah. Godwin's law, which is the internet thing that it, any internet discussion will eventually start comparing people to Nazis. <laughs> so there you go. He's still in another oblique. one of the funniest recent things that I thought of when, when I was like, Godwin's law. Oh yeah. Made me think of, uh, did you watch the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt? Yes. On Netflix. Mm-hmm where Titus Andromedon gets called the sixth worst Hitler or something, <laughs> right? right? And, right. and he's like, I'm above actual Hitler. <laughs> 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 that was that was a great show. Yeah. Uh, yeah, sorry, you were starting to say something, something else? I was just like, yeah, so you're getting Godwin's Law in there, which is, you know, along with the actual If Day, another oblique reference to Nazism. Mm-hmm. so yeah you know yeah mike godwin in 1990 was the first person to i guess kind of coin this whatever you would call right. this, this this way of you know immediately jumping to calling people history's greatest monster right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah. which is I, I like to use that phrase more often rather yeah. than history's greatest monster you know, jokingly right, right. I, yeah i think i made a post once about uh, Kara, rather than changing the toilet paper roll over to actually put it on the roller to actually just setting the fresh roll on top of the roller. <laughs> it's like a picture of that. The toilet paper sitting there and, and tweeted out, Kara is history's greatest monster. <laughs> so yeah, so that's, that's Godwin's law. Anyway. Right. Um, yeah. So in this song, I, I guess, yeah. So he says I've broken godwin's law um hey i'm guilty put on the cuffs i've broken godwin's law master of the obvious i confess Mm -hmm. so what's the obvious thing that he's saying here i'm i mean that that in in my analogy that the pandemic is bad right (laughs) hot take man (laughs) The, the the pandemic is as bad as you know what's something horrible that someone could say like oh it's as bad as the holocaust that would be an awful thing to say right because the holocaust was i mean fuck you know one of the worst tragedies ever committed by uh, a people onto another people whereas the pandemic is has killed a lot of people but jumping to that analogy would be flippant and uh, insensitive right what what is what's the obvious thing do you think that that flans is he's breaking godwin's law? i mean i still feel like he's on the line of these crazy conservatives who think they're taking their country back and all of that especially when you get into the next section where he says you know it all began as an agitprop stunt costumes mm. and chants from a crowd which definitely sounds like a you know a rally with you know all sorts of things and then agit prop i had to look up just to refresh myself and that's you know you know the first the first uh definition was outright propaganda and the second definition was propaganda that takes the form of art and music movies and mm-hmm. that kind of thing mm-hmm. yeah <clears throat> Yeah, so, I've mentioned propaganda already. You yep. could say that, you know, right in their name, they put propaganda right in their name. Propaganda uh, sings songs <laughs> with a very, very blunt political message. That's true. Um, yes, very, very far left. Yes. Band. <laughs> uh, 
yeah, agitprop. I had to look that up too. I've Flans teaches me new words with every album that comes yep. out. <laughs> <laughs> Even more so than Linnell, I think Flans tries to think like what noun verb adjective right. have i never used in a song i'm gonna i use definitely it. think there's some of that like here where's a word that i can work in that i've never managed mm-hmm. to do before yeah mm-hmm. and it it fits perfectly it doesn't he's not reaching to like find a place to put a weird word you know you look it up and you're like oh okay uh costumes and chants from a crowd yeah again you relating it to the storming of the capital that fucking guy with the furry, right. horned, ha- Viking hat, face paint, you know, full costume. Yep, that guy. Full costume. I mean, that's what comes to mind. I don't know. Obviously, if it was written beforehand, that specific guy wasn't in Flans' mind, but mm-hmm. that's what comes yeah. to my head. And any protest will have chance, sure. no matter which side of the political spectrum it's coming from. Absolutely. You know, You know, the kind of things that <clears throat> they chanted at the Capitol riot. You know, are all the famous Trump chants like "Drain the swamp, drain the right. swamp, lock her up, lock her up"? All those, uh, whatever yep. they were saying about Pence at the time—that's who they were most uh-huh. mad at at that particular moment. <sighs> God, I, I haven't gotten too many complaints. I don't know if I've gotten any complaints about the podcast being. It's a music podcast. Why are you getting right. political? It, there's no way around it. There isn't uh, with the Giants. I mean, depending depending on the song. Flans, when you talk, when you see him make posts and stuff, he is unabashedly liberal, and yeah. he has mostly kept that viewpoint, you know, specifically out of the songs. But you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, it, it could also be. Yeah, I clicked over the interpretations tab just seconds before hey, we, we talked. That's what I did too. <laughs> yeah, I like to to wait on that till I've formed my own opinion or thought on what it could be about. But someone brought up white supremacy. Yeah, and this last line, especially, I mean, even even the stuff about costumes. There are stuff like the Proud Boys yeah. are all, are there's specific colors that was it yellow? I don't, I don't know. There's specific like fashion that right. <laughs> goes along with them the thoughts no one dared say out loud right is the kind of thing that us more liberal-minded folks have touched on a lot throughout the trump era where like only under this leadership would people feel safe enough to say things as horrible as these white supremacists have yeah neo-nazis you know there's not too many people that would identify as a white supremacist or as a neo-nazi uh that's more of a label that would be put on them fittingly uh you know no one no one will identify themselves as a racist or or i guess few people would identify themselves as a racist uh while they say racist things uh thoughts no one dared say out loud and and there's a lot in this two minute song it really is i mean if you're gonna push it that way it's like well you know did trump make it safe for people of that mindset to just say everything you know and you had your great senator from the state of indiana who just got on there yesterday speaking Mm -hmm. of topical saying "Mm, interracial marriages should have been left up to the states (laughs) and not something that the united states should have said everybody can do i mean that states rights thing is one of the most confusing things to me like if you're against big government who cares where it's coming from if the government is is putting something on you making it legal or illegal or whatever 
why does it really matter if it's state, if it's by state, state level or <laughs> federal? Our state's racist and we want to remain racist. Right. We're yeah. one of the racist states. <laughs> <laughs> now, now I'm going to get Southerners mad at me uh, for doing some sort of bad Southern uh, accent there. Um, anyway. Yeah. The, <laughs> <laughs> um, as far as the song coming together lyrically and melodically, uh, Linnell is quoted as saying, uh, and this is in um, uh, Brooklyn, bkmag.com, Brooklyn uh, Magazine, which may or may not be an actual physical magazine anymore. Right. I don't know. Who knows? Uh, but online, yeah, there's an interview where Linnell says uh, that the melody suggests the lyric rather than the other way around, um, saying that, and I mean, he's not the one that wrote the melody or lyrics he right. has said, um, but then Flansburg says, they were both on this interview. Uh, for me, it's interesting to participate in the process. If I'm not the acrobat, I get to be the trampoline builder, which I think is a wonderful uh, <laughs> a metaphor. Quote. Yeah, yeah. If I'm not the acrobat, I get to be the trampoline builder. So I guess in that way, I would say that he's giving props to Linnell for coming up with the musical germ of an idea. Yeah. And flans bouncing off of that right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah flans where also says there's another bullet point on the wiki where uh flans says this song sounds like an electronic music box powered entirely by nightmare fuel <laughs> that, that is previously uncharted territory for us i might disagree with that yeah. i mean maybe the music box thing but they've definitely had songs that uh, at least a lot of non-fans might hear and call nightmare fuel right <laughs> <laughs> rabid child from mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and that was in a spin uh, interview. Man, they did a lot of press. They did for book a lot. I did it's, not even yeah. try to keep up with all the <laughs> all the interviews and <laughs> podcast appearances and things they went on. Just me neither. A lot. And at, at first, I felt like as a guy who's going to be talking about these songs, I need to listen to every single one. And then about three of them in, I'm like. They're all just about the same thing. Same questions. For- over and over, I guess, you know, hitting different crowds of whoever uh-huh. might listen to each podcast. But, like, it's the normal promotional sure. thing. It's just like with anything else, an actor goes on the right. late show and promotes their movie and says some of the same stuff as they would go on the Tonight Show. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I guess the difference, in the, 20- Whatever. the difference in the 21st century is that we have access to all of it now. Whereas back in the 1990s, if they were coming to your town to play a concert, they might have a newspaper interview that only the people in right. that town saw. But now it's like, oh, you can listen to this podcast. You can see this online interview and it's all there. Yeah. Yeah. They would have to repeat themselves even more back in the day. Yeah. Because if you'd go for you do an interview in Austin. Right. Or whatever to throw out a random city. You know, yeah, we're, we're going to be there next week. Yep. Go do an interview on the radio, and that's all the people that hear it are the people within the free broadcast range of that station. Exactly. And then they do it again for Dallas or whatever. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. This song, man, yeah, just the more we talk about it, it, yeah, it's my favorite Flan song on the album. I wouldn't say it's my favorite song on the album. Right. That would definitely be I Broke My Own Rule still and right. has been since they released that as a single. But this is a great song. What do you what do you think we get into? There's no live versions. Who nope. knows if they'll ever play it live like we, we, we were talking about. Should we hear the one and only cover? Yes. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> and this is, once again, Noah Daniel. Uh, podcast superstar. Did 
podcast superstar. We were debating, me and him, via email, whether he has beaten out Daryl Till as the most frequently uh, appearing. As someone, you know, actually, you, as someone who listened to these in more rapid succession than yeah. most, and me having recorded them not as, <laughs> as rapid succession, it's hard for me to remember, Daryl, before I knew who he was and just called him Astral B, appeared on a ton of... Of the first, like, 50 episodes, would you say that's correct? I would say that is (laughs) accurate, yes. Yeah. (laughs) Especially talking about classic They Might Be Giant songs. Uh, He first started posting to YouTube in, like, 2008, and really anything pre that was fair game for him to pound out on his upright piano with only his hands being filmed. And I'm like, who's this mysterious guy? He does awesome like Ben Folds style power piano to these They Might Be Giant songs that he speeds up and I loved it. Uh, and I've gotten to know him and had him on the show twice, three if you count on Patreon. And now he has done custom covers for me as well. But Noah Daniel has really, really jumped on the opportunity I've given him and this group of friends uh, to get my recording schedule ahead of time to provide covers. Yes. And he, even in the group yesterday, he almost is feeling like it's his duty <laughs> to take on these book songs and provide a cover for the podcast where covers don't exist yet. And in this case, he gave the only cover directly to me. I don't think he has it up anywhere else yet. He'll probably put it on his SoundCloud. Takahiro24 is his uh, SoundCloud channel which again he was another guy i'm like who is this guy right it's a japanese sounding channel this guy doesn't sound japanese he's got an accent but it's not <laughs> japanese uh he is german <laughs> people know they've listened to the show for more than five minutes right uh no daniel gave us the only cover that exists of if day for winnipeg so let's listen to that right now <laughs> What'd you think? <laughs> it is a very fun version. Uh, it's a difficult song <laughs> to cover. So I appreciated his finding a way to get some weirdness in the introduction, yeah. which the introduction I think is probably twice as long as the actual <laughs> recorded version by They Might Be Giants. <laughs> he gives yeah. it his own kind of weirdness. Yes. What I had to ask him, what do you think? The sound is playing the, I guess, melody of the instrumental intro. I am not sure. 
<laughs> I do not have I, w- <laughs> I do not have a, a an answer off the top of my head on that. I thought at first and I'm just sitting out on the patio while my daughter's playing and he sends me this email. I fired up just on my phone, you know, not the most high fidelity or or volume like and I thought it was just him singing. <laughs> <laughs> but then it gets to the end. And there's like a little like whoop, there's like a weird kind of sound at the uh-huh. end. And I'm like, wait a second. Is that and then so my second guess was, is that a synth sound and he's using the pitch bend uh, yes, the, on it yeah. as he goes. Mm-hmm. Uh no. Neither of those were correct. Okay. Neither of those were correct. So I uh let me bring up this email. He told me, let's see. Da, 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 da. Okay, um, the crazy sound is a DIY cardboard theremin. Cardboard theremin. It's really hard to control, but seemed to include both the comedic and apocalyptic vibe of If Day. He's claiming that there's a comedic side to If Day, sure. which we didn't really touch on. But uh, I guess to someone, you know, some of the wackier They Might Be Giant songs might be. Yeah. Give you a little chuckle. Fair enough. Bummer, I had to leave out my favorite part of the song. As you noticed, it was in the bridge cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it would have taken some more time, and I only had 20 minutes left uh, after <laughs> after you losing, quote-unquote, an hour and a half on Piece of Dirt, which is a cover that you will hear on the episode that probably will come out two episodes after this one, okay. Piece of Dirt. Um, where, yeah, I won't... He, <laughs> <laughs> it's another very unique I instrumentation. Will look I look forward yeah. to hearing that. Yes. <laughs> He's given me a lot of guitar covers and accordion covers. Yeah. So I think he thought for these, and this one does have accordion in it. Sure does. Which is not in the original, which I love. Um, accordion covers of non accordion, they might be giant songs. Uh, but yeah, that the cardboard theremin, I said, I need to see a picture of this. And he uh, instead sent me a link to where you could buy it on Amazon. And it is. His is made out of cardboard that it came with, but you could, if you were craftier, you could make a wood box to contain what the the basis of a theremin is. A very it's a very simple synthesizer. While it seems mm-hmm. like a weird thing to most people, it was, I believe, the first synthesizer is what you would call it historically. The first synthesizer before a keyboard was put right. into the to use to, to to create the sound the pitches. A theremin. Um, Created by, I mean, Theremin is the guy's last name who created it, Leon Theremin. Uh, on Amazon, you can find this Theremin. Um, it's called, okay, Francis 65347 Theremin Build Yourself Kit for Soldering, the iconic music instrument as your own. Uh, play the legendary sci-fi instrument with board and 80-page manual. 80-page <laughs> manual. So it's basically uh, for someone who wants a theremin but doesn't want to pay, you know, like 600 bucks for a Moog theremin or whatever else, you can buy it for uh, 44 euros. Okay. However much that might be. I don't know. I think <laughs> that's more than $44. I think you're right. Um, yeah. I don't still know if it's less double, than either way, I think Still it's, less than 100 bucks. Yeah, so. most definitely. And on the picture of the box, I mean, I'll send you the link real quick. On the right. picture of the box, it shows a wood containment for uh, the theremin, um, but apparently it only comes with cardboard. And I don't know if the cardboard looks like fake wood. 
because uh, it looks pretty snazzy on the ding. There's your there's yeah. your link. Uh, it looks pretty snazzy on the box there, but it, it, it's for someone who wants a theremin but wants to save money and also is down for soldering things and working with you know chips of uh, you know that the the guts of the theremin right. come with some assembly required. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's Ask a, your mom or dad to help you build this thing. Very uh, 1980s style picture. <laughs> the wood, the yeah. faux wood paneling and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. This uh, this is definitely from uh, coming from somewhere not the U.S. Yeah. The brand is Francis uh, and it's priced in euros. Um, but yeah, so Noah bought this. And um, with it, according to the Amazon uh, listing, as seen in the Big Bang Theory <laughs> series. <laughs> Very nice, I guess. <laughs> I, I didn't see that episode, but I, I guess there are some people that, you know, theremins are a weird instrument yep. that a lot of people might not have ever seen or not know what they're called. Apparently, the Big Bang Theory taught people about theremins. So, you know, good okay. on them. Yeah. So, his theremin playing is pretty funny. It is. And and good he says it's very hard to control which theremins in general are i i have i do not own a theremin but i have played my friend's moog theremin which is wonderful uh super fun and expensive um he wanted to give it a try i don't think i guess i'd have to verify this but i don't think he's ever put it on a song before um he may have just built it. I don't know, but he wanted to try it out. And right. I think with they might be giants covers, it's a good place to kind of just yep. go for broke. And you know, what's, you know, what have you got to lose? Sure. And it's this particular a, a song is a good, yeah. good, weird one to throw in something weird of your own. Yeah. Yeah. So Noah, thank you so much for providing this cover for us. Cause we would have had none. Um, I was kind of, I was kind of surprised I didn't find any any because someone did tab it out on for guitar yeah, I saw that. on the wiki. There is no guitar in the song, no. but again, uh, even a giant song with no guitar. Yeah. Played on guitar, that would be cool. I wish the person they did not credit themselves on the wiki whoever tabbed it out, they should have uploaded a YouTube video of them playing. Yeah, it. that would have been cool. I thought about just, you know, whipping out my guitar and just trying it first take on the air, but I think uh, that would be against my better judgment. <laughs> but uh, Noah gave us a cover, so uh, I'm not as desperate as on some other songs uh, that I've covered live on air, like Sleep, way back in the right. early days <laughs> of the podcast. <laughs> so that's the end of the cover section. Okay. Uh, all we have left to do is score this song. Right. We've come to this 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 point. That was a great discussion about the song. I uh, we we really broke this down yeah. well. I would say we we dug in as, pretty deep with this. Time. <laughs> ooh, as far as a new track, we really got deep into it for having very little to go on <laughs> in in. in four months five months of this this uh, being a song right. made public so what do you think i really like this song it's probably not my tippy top of ever on the might be giants but i'm gonna go with an 8.8 .8. cool all right if day for winnipeg let me answer this in my spreadsheet here um it's my favorite flan song off book so 
I think therefore it has to be pretty high. If it's, uh, you know, if you if you split songs based on which John does them and which album they're on, um, but again, yeah, like you said, it's not my favorite. They might be John's song ever. Uh, it's not a ten, but I think, and this really has been a grower. It's gone from a song where it's kind of like, eh, to like this song is amazing. <laughs> I think I got to go a little bit above you, wow. which is still. It happens less often uh, than going below my guess. I think I'm going to go um, flat nine. Nice. Straight up nine for If Day for Winnipeg. Such a good Flames track. Very inventive. Uh, and really, you'd call it a Flames track. I think Linnell would even say that. But it was a collaborative track. It's yep. a duo track. It gives us something that uh, is fairly rare in the modern age of TMBG. Yeah. So a nine from me, 8.8 8. 8 from you, right? Yes. And a nine from me. So excellent. both of us give it, uh, I'd say it's the two thumbs up on the Siskel and Ebert scale. Do you want to tell the people about pl- uh, places to find you on social media or do you have anything to plug? Uh, sir? I don't have a ton to plug. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at tons underscore a underscore con. It's my name backwards. Um, and I, my main creative write outlet is writing about other people's creative stuff. So I'm basically a music critic. So I write for this website, popmatters.com. So you can Google me for that. Or if you follow me on Twitter, whenever I get a new review or piece up, I, I link it there. So that's, yeah, I just recently read your 20th anniversary review of the, uh, annual notice by the trail of dead album. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, that the it was it's good. you're a good writer, man. Thank and you. uh I'm saying that as a music journalist <laughs> right. myself, you know, I've written for I'm coming up on my actually I'm really close to my 20th anniversary of again, quote unquote, working for punk news. Right. Uh you know, I'm I'm assuming you get paid in, you know, like a free download here and uh, there yes, or do you I, get I actual used, money? No, uh no, Pop Matters is the same kind of situation where it's, you know, yeah. it's been going for a very long time, but it's not, you know, it's not making money for most of us. So yeah, yeah I used to get Do free, I used to get free CDs and, you know, back when mm-hmm. concerts were happening, I would occasionally go to go review a concert for free, but yeah. that's about it. Yeah. Yep. Same, same. I used to get a, 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 <laughs> a completely ripped media mail sent package from our different reviews editors who have been, I've outlasted all of our reviews <laughs> editors. I've been there longer than any of them. Um, package of like 20 cds uh all the jewel cases broken by the postal service uh and yeah just pop me my cd player one at a time be like oh what's you know what's the first one i'm gonna review maybe i've heard of two of these bands like oh sweet the new lag wagon oh the new goldfinger i don't know any of the other things here been uh many years of getting every month or two a long an email with a very long list of names of albums and just going well this is an interesting band name. Oh, this is an interesting album name and <laughs> seeing what you get. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it's, it's, it's fun. And, um, I have such a large CD collection actually along the way, you know, I gotten so many CDs from punk news throughout the years. My first review was in 2002 as a staff writer there. And, uh, I had to, at one point start thinning out my collection because I realized there's stuff I hadn't listened to since I reviewed it, you know? Yeah. And then I started going off my own ratings. If I gave it <laughs> three and a half out of five stars, 
or higher, I would keep it. <laughs> if not, I would recycle it or sell it in a garage. Sounds good. Yep, that sounds about right. <laughs> I think I, I think yeah. I did something similar. Like, oh, was this a six or below? Then, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 I gave him that extra. I gave him if it's it, I if it's a seven or at the end of cross yeah. seven out of ten or mm-hmm. three and a half out of five stars. So yeah, Pop Manners, uh, cool website. I can't say I was all that familiar with it before I found out about you writing mm-hmm. for them and, and tweeting out some links. But they've been around. They've been around over since twenty years. Ninety nine, I think. So yeah, yeah, that's the same year that Punk News uh, was yeah. founded. Same two women running it the whole time. So you know, cool, yeah. cool. Anyway, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a cool site. Yeah, so go check out uh, Chris's writing on there. Find him on the social media. You can find This Might Be a Podcast at This Might Be a Pod on Twitter. We're on Facebook, Instagram, all the other stuff. I don't use Facebook to promote all that much because it doesn't really work. Uh, but leave me voicemails. Yeah, what do you think about If Day? Uh, what do you make of it? What is it actually about? If you have a different opinion, leave me a voicemail. It's 224-801-2930. And if I don't want to hear my own voice on a podcast, you should send me an email. This might be a pod at Gmail, and I will read it in the mailbag segment. So um, if you want to be a Patreon subscriber like Chris is and be awesome like that and support the show, this might be a podcast is on Patreon. Patreon.com slash this might be a podcast. And... I think that is it. Chris, thanks for coming on, being flexible with the time and jumping in quick yep. to do this flan song for me. Thanks for having me. I had a great time. Yeah, hell yeah, me too. This is for everyone, not just for women.